You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. It's going to be a great morning. I'm Sean. I'm the youth pastor here at The Gateway Church, and uh, I get to bring the word this morning. And I just want to say, uh, caution, uh, you are in the danger zone Amen, right? Come on, who knows this song? Does anyone know what movie it's from? Top Gun, I heard it, yeah. I love it. Um, uh, Such a great movie that came out last year, and it was awesome movie. If you've not seen it, I encourage you to see it. It's a great one. Um, But today, uh, we've been in a sermon series called Exiles, but I've subtitled my sermon Danger Zone, because listen, this morning you're in the danger zone, and I'm excited to uh, preach to you this morning. We have been in an incredible series through First Peter, Second Peter, and uh, soon to be Jude, and something I love about this church is we, uh, every now and again, we do exegetical preaching, which is preaching the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and what it does is it makes it to where you can't avoid uh, tough subjects and tough topics, and today is definitely one of those tough subjects for sure. If you weren't here last week, Mike, Pastor Mike Jones brought an incredible sermon on growth, and I encourage you to uh, go check it out and listen to that on our Facebook page. But we get to this moment in Second Peter uh, 2 where Peter is addressing false teachers, and it's a moment where uh, this wasn't the first time it was ever addressed. Uh, Jesus addressed false teachers. Paul addressed false teachers. John addressed false teachers. But it's something that becomes very clear that um, it becomes very clear that there is a danger about false teachers. But what is that danger, and how can we avoid it? And again, I think this sermon is going to be challenging yet informative. But to open up, I want to share two stories with you. One story was something that was kind of definitely dangerous, but no consequence happened. And the second story is it was dangerous and there was a consequence. And so the first story is when I was in college, we at Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri, that we had an RA event, a hall event, my bad, and our RA led it. And uh, we went to this bridge and we have a picture of it. It's called the James River Bridge. And what do you think uh, would happen with a bunch of college kids in this bridge? What would you guys think? You would jump off the bridge, teenagers even, you jump off the bridge. And so that's what we did as a, a event, a hall event is we went to this bridge. There, there's even signs outside this bridge that say like, hey, no bridge jumping. And uh, we completely avoided those. And uh, so we go and uh, we one by one, you know, jump off. We even had, if you really want to get dangerous, we had um, uh, one of my friends, he went on top the top there. And he jumped from like another uh, probably 10, 15 feet. And that's not something I would do. I think that might be something Pastor Ben would do, though. <laughs> um, but uh, so, I, you know, I jumped off. And then on the right of the picture is like rocks. You kind of climb back up. And then as a hall event, uh, we decided that, hey, we are going to jump off together and we're going to hold hands. And um, you know when you play rock, paper, scissors and... 
It's, is it rock, paper, scissors, shoot? Or is it rock, paper, scissors, and you just go? And in my mind, are we going on three, two, one, go? Or are we going on three, two, one? You know, a big difference there when you jump. And so no one ever described it, and all of a sudden, three, two, one, and people jump, and it's like this, and all of a sudden, my hands go like this, and I'm still on the bridge. <laughs> but, I mean, as soon as my hands went like this, I was like, oh, we're jumping, you know, and I jumped off. And, um, but what I noticed, my RA uh, was next to me, and as we're, he jumped first, obviously, because my hands went like this, and as we're falling, it's either I'm going to the left or he's going to the right, but it doesn't matter because we're at one point like this. And it's either, I'm like, you know, it's split second thinking, you know, you're trying to move, oh, like, oh, no, I'm not going to hit his head, I'm going to hit something, you know. And so uh, I ended up hitting the water, and I hit his shoulder, and he gets out of the water, and I was like, man, are you okay? And he's like, okay. And it was a dangerous action that there was no consequence. And so the second story is uh, when I was in, uh, I started high school football when I was in ninth grade, and when I started high school football, like, my parents were like, hey, like, we can't give you a ride. Like, there's no way we can give you a ride. And so what they did was they bought me a moped. So all parents buy your kids a moped if they don't have a ride. Just kidding. Um, but uh, so they bought me a moped. And that was my ride, whether it was thunderstorming, whether it was raining. Uh, it didn't snow in the summer. But if it was snowing, like, that would have been my ride to get the practice and back. And so this one morning, it's raining, it's downpouring, I get to practice, and we're in the middle of two days, so we would go 6 to 8 in the morning and 6 to 8 at night. And so 6 to 8 in the morning, we do our practice, and it's downpouring, and it's just raining super hard, and again, this is uh, danger with a consequence. And so on my way home, it's pouring down rain, and you have, um, in my hometown, there's like a one-way highway that goes like this, or my bad, goes like this. And then one-way highway that goes the opposite way. And in the middle is the road that, like, if you want to turn around, you turn around that way. And um, so I'm trying to head home. And the way I get home is I have to cross that little um, that spot that goes between each one way. And I'm looking. I'm on the moped. It's downpouring rain. I just got on the practice. I'm hungry. I want to get home. I'm done with this rain. And I'm riding. So, like, my plan... and. So happened is what I did was I'm running the stop sign. So uh, I'm running. I look. There's uh, like cars coming, but I'm like, well, you know, get get across the highway. But what I didn't realize was there was a state trooper right there. That was the next car coming. What an easy pullover for him. Like this dude just ran a stop sign, and so he pulls me over. And now listen, I've been pulled over a few times in my life, but this was. Definitely the longest amount of time I've ever been pulled over in my life because uh, it's pouring rain. I'm getting drenched. He, you know, does this thing, comes up to me, goes back. He's in his car, and it just felt like he was taking forever in his car. I'm just like, what's going on? But the consequence wasn't, I didn't get a ticket out of it. I just got a warning. The consequence was actually this. The, uh, the next car that drove by was my coach. And he, he drives by, and he's just driving, and all of a sudden, I just see him laughing. He doesn't stop to see if I'm okay. He, doesn't, he just is, is laughing on his car ride back home in his nice little warm cabin, 
But the consequence was that night at practice, he made fun of me so much in front of everybody. And then even to this day, he became the head coach many years later, and I actually coached underneath him. You want to know how he introduced me to people he, like I didn't know? He said, yeah, one day he was pulled over on the side of the road. It was downpouring rain. He begins to tell the story about me. So at least I made an impression on his life, whether it was a good impression or a bad impression. He just always told that story to many people. And the consequence was he just always made fun of me. Like if I called him today, and put him on the phone, he would definitely just tell you guys that story of how much it blessed his heart uh, because he's just laughing so much. But when it comes to chapter 2, Peter is writing the church to warn them about the dangers of false teachers, the dangers of uh, this moment. It's important because if you follow false teachers, they're going to lead you astray. Peter's writing this to protect us from following their ways. And so just like there's a sign on the bridge that said, don't jump, that's a sign to protect me from not jumping. I just didn't follow it. Just like there's a stop sign right there for me to uh, not blow through, that sign was there to protect me so I don't get hit. Peter's writing this to protect us from following false teachers' ways. Even right there in the beginning of chapter 2, Peter writes, but false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Right away in uh, chapter 2, Peter gives... uh, some characteristics of false teachers. And as you read uh, all of chapter 2, you'll find just a list of characteristics that define false teachers, and I'll just read a few to you today. That false teachers will deny Christ as sovereign Lord. That false teachers will commercialize the Christian faith and the message of Christ using money to enhance their ministries. They'll use stories that are made up to manipulate you, to maybe even give more, or just manipulate you to uh, draw to a conclusion that they want you to be drawn to. They'll honor and promote themselves. They'll live false, immoral lifestyles. They'll be constantly lusting. And they'll also have morals that are, abs- morals that are absolute, will be considered outdated and obsolete, and that's what they want to teach. The ironic thing about this list, as I looked at it, and as Peter, you know, has this characteristics of false teachers, these are some things we battle with today. I mean, we live in a world that promotes your truth as the truth. I mean, I just, uh, I watched uh, Jesus Revolution last night, and I'm usually not one for, like, Christian movies because I think they're so cheesy, and uh, how many of you guys can relate? I mean, I, I, this is my opinion, I guess. But then uh, this one was actually really good because uh, it was talking about, like, the, your truth, the truth, and it, it showed how there was this echo chamber of Christianity that if people don't believe the same or act the same, they shouldn't be part of our church. And you, in a sense, you had, the, like, the hippies. On one scene, you had, like, the, all, the hippies on one side. Then you had all the regular churchgoers on this side. And it really showed the echo chamber that it was bringing. And the people in the movie were mad that they were even in the church. And it, we, we live in this world that promotes your truth as the truth. We, since, throw stones at people or cancel them if they don't believe the same, act the same, and are the same. 
We have social media as a platform that promotes ourselves rather than God if it isn't used correctly. We have divorce rates that are high due to immorality and unfaithfulness. And even I thought of some maybe modern day false teachings and thoughts that we might believe in today. The first one was, I don't need an accountability partner to help me get over addictions. I'll just get it over myself and I won't share that with anybody. Or how about politics is what will save the earth. The right president will change the people. Or how about the good days as Christianity have happened, so I'm just going to live in the past rather than live in the right now and believe that the best days are yet to come. You see, what Peter is doing here in this passage is he's warning the church about false teachers. But I think what he is really warning the church of is that we really need to know God's truth. And we really need to walk in God's truth and follow God's truth. It's truly a challenge for us to look inwardly rather than point fingers at people. And I love the way N.T. Wright wrote it. He's a famous theologian in regards to 2 Peter 2, and he wrote this. We ought to read this passage in regards to 2 Peter 2, not with self-righteous pride. Oh, yes, look at those wicked people, not at all like us but with the appropriate sorrow and fear that these tendencies are present in all of us. The point of self-control is to keep them back, to crucify wrong desires and grow right ones in their place. I love that quote. It's such a powerful quote. So again, while it may be easier to apply this passage and point fingers and say, look at what those people are doing, I don't want to do that today at all. I just simply want to ask two questions. And the two questions are, how can I grow in God's truth and how can I exercise self-control? And the first one, how can we grow in God's truth? And my first thought is we have to be passionate about God's word. We have to be passionate about God's word. God's word is transformative. God's word is powerful. God's word is absolute truth. God's word is everything we have written about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It reveals how God saved humanity. It reveals how he was the ultimate sacrifice. It even shows us how to walk as a Christian. One pastor said it this day, in a day where it seems like everything is negotiable in regards to absolute truth, and nothing is absolute, this is God's word. What it says about sin is true, what it says about right and wrong is true, what it says about heaven is true, what it says about hell is true, what it says about salvation is true. It doesn't matter what culture says, it doesn't matter what critics say, the question is, will you accept God's word for what it is, the truth? God's word is absolute truth, and we need to follow that. We need to follow the transformative, powerful, absolute truth that God's word brings that will help us grow in the knowledge of God as we experience it. But honestly, we get passionate about so many different things in life. We get passionate, and really passion drives our motives. It drives our decisions. When I, when I moved here a year and a half ago now, or just over, uh, and it was actually at Logan's, um, Logan Bay's graduation party. It was the first time I was introduced to pickleball. And uh, since that day, I've played a lot of pickleball. 
Um, but it, I would research videos of it. I became passionate about the sport. I, I bought the equipment. I bought the paddle. I bought the shoes. Uh, I just became pa- We get passionate about things. We get passionate about hobbies. We get passionate about decisions. We get passionate about just different things in life that drive our, drives our motives and drives our decisions. Like even like Greg Childerhose and I would like we would text each other like videos and like things about pickleball or like and just random things and it was just like we just got passionate about it so quickly. Again, passion will drive our motives and drive our decisions. And when I was a um, when I was a junior in high school, uh, I found out it was like September I think of like two thousand nine, and. I found out, you know, my dad committed adultery on my mom, and he was doing it for like 10 years. And um, luckily, it was like the perfect storm because, like, I found out about what was going on, and then I found Jesus. And so it was like the perfect moment for me. And someone invited me to church. But it was like one night after youth service where my friend and I were going to get some food. And on the way to us getting some food, he's just asking questions about, hey, how are you doing? You know, what's going on? And um, things like that. And uh, he's just, you know, getting to know me more. And, um, you know, I begin to tell him, you know, this is my dad, divorce, everything going on. And he's like, well, like, have you forgave your dad? And I was like, no, like, why would I forgive him? I never even had the thought of, like, should I even forgive my dad? You know, I'm just new to church and all this stuff. And then he began to describe to me, you know, how Christ um, forgave us and uh, even though everything, everything Christ did for us and how we should uh, imitate God and so for me to forgive my dad. And it was a transformative thought for me uh, because I was like, man, I've never even thought about that. So I wrestled with that thought for a little while and I came to the conclusion, you know, I forgive my dad. And one day I sat out on the deck, it was my front deck, and um, my dad actually asked the question, he's like, hey, like, are you, like, what are you thinking right now? Like, are you, what's going on in your mind? And I said, listen, like, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not happy with what you did. Like, it, it literally changed, divorce changes the family dynamic literally forever. And that's what it did to my family. It changed the dynamic forever. But because of this conversation, I was able to say, like, and because I've wrestled with the fact, and I came to know Christ, I wrestled with the fact, like, yeah, Dad, I, like, I don't like what you did, but I do love you, and I do forgive you for your actions. And that literally, like, changed the direction of our relationship. Like, we have a great relationship to this day. But it was because the, uh, the Bible is transformative, and when you allow the Bible to really transform your heart, it changes your motives and passions to be more like Christ. Peter even addresses the fact that some of the false teachers once knew God, but what if we know what God wants out of us, but we don't walk in that way? Like, imagine if I stood up here and preached on, hey, forgiveness, but yet I didn't have a forgiving heart towards my dad. How much different would I be compared to a false teacher? I mean, look what Peter even says about this in Second uh, Peter 2, 17 through 19. These, these are waterless springs of mist driven by a storm. For the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice uh, by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping 
from those who live in the air. Verse 19, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves, are slaves of corruption. For whatever comes of a person, to that he is enslaved. So what Peter's addressing here is like, these are false teachers who preach about the freedom of Christ, but yet them themselves are slaves of corruption. So they're not acting on what they uh, have said. So we need to know, we need to be passionate about God's word in order to grow in God's truth. Secondly, we need to make a decision that God has the ultimate authority. When God has the ultimate authority in our lives, that means everything we say and do gives him the authority in our lives. That means no one else has that spot in our lives. And when you, go, when you relate it to sports, it's typically the coach that has the highest authority on a field. Like I played football, one of the, on, the coach has the highest authority of what happens on the field. He's the one who calls the plays. He's the one who puts the players in place. He's the one who makes the, you know, puts all the plays in. Like imagine if I was uh, the quarterback of a football team and the coach called the play in, but yet I chose to run, to run a whole different play. Like he would be benching me in a heartbeat. The coach has the ultimate authority on a football field, just as in the same way, God has the ultimate authority in our life. What the Bible says we should operate in, it should be true. The false teachers Peter describes are ones that didn't give the ultimate authority to God. They themselves were their own authority, and that's a dangerous spot to be in, to be your own authority. We have to give God the authority in our life. In order to grow in God's truth, we, thirdly, we have to live a lifestyle that reflects Christ and not culture. One of my mentors talks about the difference between a cultural Christian and a biblical Christian. He, he talked about a cultural Christian filters the word of God through a cultural funnel. The outcome of that may become echo chamber Christianity, which is simply we believe the same, we act the same, we do the same thing, and it's Christianity the way I want it. It's also Christianity that if, it, if it's something that fits in their schedule, maybe of that week, it fits in their own timing, then it will look like they're a Christian. It will look like they're following Christ with everything they have. But when a cultural Christian also hears something they don't like, they get up and leave. Because it doesn't fit their image of what Christ looks like. It's, in a sense, echo chamber Christianity. But a biblical Christian filters cultural, culture through the word of God and out comes redeemed culture. No longer are Christians centered on the idea of culture. Rather, they're centered on the idea of the word of God and allowing that to dictate every decision they make. An example between the two would be uh, a cultural Christian may find that missions is optional. That I'll preach Christ in my workplace or I'll preach Christ in my school when I want to preach Christ. But a biblical Christian would say, like, hey, missions is a mandate. I don't know. It doesn't matter if I'm going to lose my job. It doesn't matter if I'm going to uh, get made fun of in school. It's not going to be matter if I get canceled in school. I'm going to preach Jesus. I'm going to let my life reflect that. That would be a difference between a biblical Christian and a cultural Christian. I was at uh, National Fine Arts a few weeks ago, and a missionary by the name of Dick Brogdon was uh, on a Q&A panel. And he said this, I wake up every day realizing I'm, going, I'm not going to get my way, but God can have his way in me. 
that every day, even when it comes to being a biblical Christian, that you're waking up every single day saying, God, I surrender to whatever you have for me today. It's your way. I want to reflect you. So then we get to the second question is how can we exercise self-control? And the first way is we need to get rid of sin in our life. We need to get rid of sin. The second thing is flee from sin. Second Peter 2 gives this illustration with Lot, and it's this illustration that God rescued Lot because he was personally rejecting evil. He fled from a sinful situation. We have gotten, we've gotten so used to sin in our life. And we need to get back to a place of righteousness, fleeing from sin, getting rid of sin in our life. False teachers even described in 2 Peter 2 were enticing people to maybe even jump into sin, follow my ways. But uh, when you flee from sin, you're not enticing people to jump into sin, you're, you're pointing them to Christ. You know, one of the differences between false teachers and followers of Christ is making the decision that I'm going to flee from sin. Even Paul in his conversion realized that Jesus was the Son of God. And ever since that moment, he chose to flee from sin. One of my, the same mentor I talked about earlier, put it on his social media this week. And I thought it was so fitting. He said, Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride. But before he does, he's going to get the spots out. So whenever you see sin exposed in the church, don't worry. Don't throw stones. Don't fear it's a setup. God is setting us up for a move of his spirit by aligning the church and getting us ready to be part of it. Your move. Get rid of the sin in your life. Deepen your walk with God. Align your life with his will. I think a lot of times what happens with, when it comes to getting rid of sin in our life or fleeing from sin, we hear it from a person all of a sudden we're like, hey, get away from me, you're a sinner. But we don't need to throw stones at the person, yet we just need to point that person to Christ. Or even in our own life, we just need to line ourselves up with God's will to get rid of the sin in our own life and to flee from sin as it constantly is exposed to us. Third thing is we need to be faithful when it comes to exercising self-control. Every day, we will make faithful decisions that set us apart. That could be being faithful to your spouse that could be being faithful in your finances. That could be being faithful in your morals. We need to simply be faithful in our walk with Christ. And lastly, and certainly not least, and worship team, you can go ahead and come up, is we need to control our tongue. You see, the false teachers mouth empty and boastful words. They would lead people and entice people, but the way they would do that was with the words they would speak. They would use their words, again, to entice people and to lead people in their own ways, to teach false stories, to uh, have false motives. And if there's an area where we can exercise self-control, it's using our words to build other people's up, to point people to Christ. We use our tongues to attack people, tear people down, gossip about people. Even in the social media world, like sometimes that's all I see on social media is gossip, tearing people down. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm part of a Facebook group, Grand Haven Informed. It's all gossip. 
It's all tearing people down. It's everything. Can we use our words to build people up, to point them to Christ? That's what's going to separate us as the people of God, is point people to Christ with our words. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good is for building up, as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. James chapter 3 talks about how the tongue is a rudder that controls so much in our life. Let's be better about exercising self-control around our words and encourage others and to speak life into others, to speak God into other people. You know, I was like, how do I sum all this up? How do I sum up God's truth, exercising self-control, And I thought of something. You've had this sign in front of you this entire time. I don't know about you, but when I see a wet floor sign, like, I literally don't think anything about it, actually. Like, like I I understand that the floor may be the wet, but it's just water, right? Like, is water really wet? You know, the whole funny slogan around that. So, but like, to me, like when I see this caution, wet floor sign, whether I'm in Meyer or whether I'm just going to walk right by it. Listen, if Lucky Charms is on the other side of this wet floor sign, I'm going after it. And whether it's good for me or not, I, it's just what I'm going to do. But with this wet floor sign, like I think a lot of times this is how sin is in our life. We don't flee from it. This is the line. Like, there is caution and there is danger. The other side is essentially a danger zone. But yet we walk right to it, not even think anything about it because we've gotten so used to sin. But imagine, imagine if there's like two wet floor signs. Like, that'd be kind of cool. Um, like, I could still walk around it, but I definitely notice that the signs are there. That it may be harder to get around, but the warning is definitely there. There is water in the area. But what about three signs? Like, this is definitely excessive. Like, imagine if you walked in mire and saw three signs in one aisle. You'd be like, okay, what's going on right here? Like, is there, uh, is Lake Michigan flooding mire right now, or what is it? But then someone this morning, see, I just had three signs this morning, but then someone told me, hey, you know what? The mire aisleways are probably about four signs long. And so what about four signs? Like, that's pretty excessive. That is like, hey, there's definitely water. I definitely should not cross this area. I definitely, there's danger on the other side. Like, like at this point, I, like in order for me to get through this sign, like I literally got to kick it. But what if I told you this morning that this is what sin does in your life? It, like there's signs of, there's danger on the other side that we need to not dive into. We need to flee from it. And God's truth is this line saying, don't cross it. And the signs are there. What if I told you this morning that this is what 2 Peter 2 is warning us of? That if you cross, so many times we get used to crossing this line. What if it said, 
hey, the signs are there. Don't cross the line. I'm a faithful God, and I love you so, so much. You can go ahead and stand with me this morning. Because I think in the same way Peter is warning us today, let's follow God's truth and exercise self-control. So this morning, I really struggled with how do you close this sermon? And honestly, I think there's a practical application. One, we need to be in God's presence. God's word and God's presence is what transforms our lives. That, that I can never tell you to expose the own sin in your life, but God's word is the one that transforms your life, and God's word is the one that can do that. I can't transform you, God does. The second thing, so that you do that in God's presence. The second thing is sometimes we need to tell people what's going on in our own life. That we need that accountability of someone praying over us and saying, listen, this is what's going on in my life and I need God's freedom. So we need to be in God's presence and we need to share. And then lastly, how do we not cross this line? How do we not jump over? Because I think so many of us, even in this room, we get so used to jumping this line. And that's the power of God's word, understanding it to what you believe. What do you believe about God to be true? Do you believe that it's okay to cross this line? And if so, why do you believe that? And if you don't think it's okay to cross this line, then why do you do it? I think there's practical questions that we can answer and ask ourselves. So this morning, the best way for me to think about closing is us to be in his presence and allowing God to transform us. And maybe some of you might lean to the person next to you and be like, hey, I need prayer. I need God to do this in my life. Or I'm, I'm, I'm sinning. Could you pray with me that I would experience God's freedom? And just like Pastor Bobby said earlier, that the second they took that cup and they drank it, the next thing they did was they sang praises to God and they sang praises to God to experience his freedom. So maybe for you to experience God's freedom is, you know what, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna sing the words that I hear on the screen. I wanna be caught up in his presence. I just don't wanna sit here. Or I just wanna sit here and encounter God. So I'm gonna pray and these altars are open. Maybe you wanna come up here Maybe you want to tap your neighbor on the shoulder and be like, hey, I need prayer for this, for this. But don't take this moment lightly. Really dive into what this moment can bring and experience God's freedom. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the signs. Lord, we thank you, God, for the warning in 2 Peter 2. Lord, and I pray you work on each person individually, inwardly, Lord, I pray you'd also help us uh, understand your word is transformative. Your word is powerful. And Lord, I pray, Lord, we would experience that right here in this moment. That when we walk outside these doors, that we're not walking and, um, and leaving you in these doors. But we're walking out knowing, Lord, that you are transformative, that you are powerful, and that you work in us each whether that's getting rid of sin in our own life or whether that's finding an accountability partner, whatever it may be, God, that you do the work in our life.
so that we can share your truth with others. Lord, I pray, Lord, in the next few moments, would you meet people in this room? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So whether you want to come up to the altar or have a moment at your seat, this is your moment. Lord, help us to be people that follow your words that so often we don't heed your warning that we are so busy looking at others, the dust in others' eyes that we miss the plank in our own, Lord. Help us to be people that are willing to examine ourselves, look at ourselves. Lord, help us to be people who also follow your words whenever you say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, God. Your will in our lives, your will in our families, your will in our workplaces, Lord. Let it be your way and not our way, Lord. That when we think of false teachers, let us not think of others, Lord, but let us realize how susceptible we all are. Lord, and we thank you that you are a God who is merciful, that you are a God who is gracious, who forgives again and again, Lord. And we thank you that you've forgiven us, that you've set us free, Lord. And forgive us again for all the times that we don't have the right motives, where we project our own fears, our own sins, our own, our own insecurities on other people, when we don't trust you to have control over a situation or over our nation or over the government, Lord. Help us to be people who lay things at your cross, who put things in your hand, and who trust you with all that we are. Lord, and we know that as we leave this place, as people still struggling but forgiven, as people who are still figuring out the specks and the dust and the planks in their own eye, Lord, that we are still people full of your spirit. Let us be people who leave this place as your ambassadors to a lost, hurting, and broken world. And we know that as we do, just as we are resting in your presence now, that your presence rests with us as we go out onto the lakeshore, to our workplaces, to our homes, soon to our schools, Lord that we will go with you before us, behind us, and all around us. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Go in the grace of God, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.com church.